Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We are working our way through these first six verses of this chapter. We're in a section, basically it starts in chapter 10, goes to the end of the book, and it has to do with spiritual warfare. Paul's understanding of spiritual warfare is a little bit different than what is touted these days. So if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and please follow with me in the reading of the Word of God, verses 1 through 6. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you a pure, as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. Please pray with me. Father, show us the heart of a pastor. What a true servant, a loyal servant of yours actually looks like. And this day and age of such seducing and such deception, I pray that the church, your precious bride, does not fall to the craftiness that is out there. And that, Father, she stands in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And as Apostle Paul says here, the simplicity and purity of devotion to Him. Help us, Lord. The war rages, and it is the single most important struggle in humanity at this time. Help us, my King, to stand in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Um, as I read this letter and over and over, and I told, I've told you, many of you know this, that once I start into a book that I'm going to teach, until I have completed that book, I read it every day. Uh, so I have been reading 2 Corinthians for, for a little while, about nine years. And, and so to say you become familiar with something after reading it for nine years, uh, yeah, you do. But one of the things that I do, and, and I, I've told people, and, and I've been questioned about it, is the person that I probably spend most of my time with is the Apostle Paul. Um, and people say, well, wait a minute. No, that's who I spend most of my time with, is the Apostle Paul. Um, and uh, I, the man is amazing to me. I, 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 I stand overwhelmed by him. And to say that he's remarkable is is an understatement. And I think part of it that I deal with is that even in this letter here, Second Corinthians, when you you understand that First Corinthians was written, then there was a severe letter that was written that we don't have, and then you see he had confronted uh, the Corinthian church in that severe letter, and then you see in Second Corinthians the restoration of the relationship. Okay, and then he moves into 10 through 13 and he starts becoming specific for these people who had 
caused the chaos in this body of believers. It shows the heart of the Apostle Paul. But I, I, one of the things that, that I want and I pray for you guys is that you get a, a different understanding of ministry. Because I, I see today a corruption of the term. Uh, so many churches today want to get as many people in the seats as they can so that they can hire ministers to take care of the people who are in the chairs. Well, nice philosophy, but it's not biblical. If you're saved, and, I, and listen, I want to be specific about this. I'm not talking about you think you're saved. If your salvation is based that when I was eight years old, I said the sinner's prayer, that does not make you saved. Okay. If there isn't a radical transformation in your life that you are different than the world, then you're probably not saved. So if you are saved, you are a minister. You got to understand that. You are a servant of he who saved you. That's what minister means. Okay? I look at the Apostle Paul's life. When he left Jerusalem with those letters to arrest Christians, and then you seen him after he had come back from Damascus, you would not have to ask yourself, I wonder if Paul's saved. Because Paul had become radical. But I feel sorry for the Apostle Paul, because he had to have Barnabas take him into Jerusalem to meet the actual church leaders. Because Paul had been out killing and arresting Christians. So the church, the real church, the, the first church which was in Jerusalem, was a little hesitant to receive him. But the religious system of the Jews despised him because he had become a Christian. So he basically turns up in one small event being a man without a people. That's why God says, I will send you to who? To the Gentiles. Okay? One of the things that I am in, in awe of the Apostle Paul, I do not know anyone that ever faced the tremendous disloyalty that the Apostle Paul faced. So many people that he gave so much of himself to and the gospel too. So many he poured himself into. So many that he trained. So many that he equipped. And yet so many slipped into disloyalty. Disloyalty. And, and it's amazing. If you've never dealt with it, then it's, it's an abstract thing to you. I have been in ministry long enough. To have had to deal with it. To, to deal with it a plethora of times. You normally think that as time goes by, as the individuals spend more and more time, that the people would literally become more and more loyal seeing the individual's faithfulness. But for whatever reason, it doesn't happen that way. 
Okay, on the spiritual realm. The last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote is Second Timothy. He's in the Mamertine prison in Rome, and he knows that he can see the finish line of his ministry. He knows that he is about done. In Second Timothy chapter one, verse fifteen, he says, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. That's how he starts the letter out. Okay, Asia, when he speaks of Asia, that'd be the group that came with him out of Turkey. So you have, if you look at the seven churches of Asia Minor that you see in Revelations, that's who he's talking about. That's who he's talking about. And he even names two to Timothy. I'll even give you these two guys' names, Timothy. And he says, they all have abandoned me. Now, I also understand this. When you start arresting pastors, it is amazing how their fan clubs dwindle. Okay? I mean, it's, it's just that simple. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's, it's bizarre. But when all of a sudden you look at a cost of the ministry that might be your freedom, I don't know that guy. There's 11 other guys that you know that did the same thing. Okay, I mean, we always get on Peter because he denied Christ three times. At least he was close enough to deny him. The other guys had poofed. Later in this letter, in chapter 4, verses 9 and following, he's ending his letter. He's to the guy that he has sort of groomed to take his place. And he says this, Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone back to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark. Mark is the one he had problems with early in his ministry. John Mark. And he says, pick up Mark and bring him with you. He is useful to me in service. But Titicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord repay him for him according to his deeds. Be on guard against yourself for he vigorously is opposing our teaching. At my first, now this is one of the most tragic things that I can think of. He's getting ready, he's on trial for his life. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued from the mouth of the lion. That was the end of his ministry. He was done. And at the conclusion of his ministry, there was none there to defend him. How deep was this man's pain? How deep? Anyone who serves in ministry, anyone who is faithful to the Lord, has got to be ready to face disloyalty. 
And Paul understood its implications. Disloyalty to Paul is disloyalty to the one who sent Paul. Okay? Being ashamed of the Apostle Paul, guess who you are ashamed of? Christ. You want to know what Paul's character was? Paul's character was the character of Jesus Christ. How can I say that? Easy. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if it is, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That's pretty powerful. If you think about it, what is the Great Commission? Make disciples of all peoples. What does that mean? What you have learned, what you have received, what you have heard, what you have seen. Do these things. That was the Apostle Paul. So, disloyalty, to say it's heartbreaking, may be the greatest understatement that I have ever made. To be honest with you. Paul... Now is calling the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians back to loyalty. He wants them back to being loyal to God. I want you back to being loyal to Christ. I want you to be back to being loyal to the gospel. I want you back to loyalty to the truth. We are in an, an age, philosophers call it postmodernism. Okay. And there's a lot of little dynamics that fit into postmodernism. But the essence of postmodernism is that there's no real absolute truth. Okay? So whatever you want to be true can be true. Whatever I want to be true can be true. Okay? Which is hilarious if you really think about it. Okay? But yet when I deal with these people, and they're all around you... And, I, and I'm talking about the church body. The church body today has taken parts of the Bible that they want to be true. But they have not taken the Bible as truth. I have had pastors, educated men, tell me that the Bible contains the words of God. And I smile at him. I said, no. It is the Word of God. But they believe that they have become so educated, they can now edit it to the things that are actually essential. And it's funny, because I've noticed they've edited out one thing that nobody talks about. And it's not like it's vague in Scripture. It's called sin. I've talked to people in this community who quote-unquote are saved. They cannot explain to me what they've been saved from. They believe it is just to go to heaven. I got saved from earth so I can go to heaven. And you're like, wow. (laughs) I wonder why the book is so big then. 
Because you can say that like really faster. Paul understood that the loyalty of the Christians was tedious at best. They had changed. They had restored the relationship with the Apostle Paul. But see, Paul is also smart enough to know that the false are still there. And some of those of their followers are still there too. Now, you've got to understand, under the public reading of the severe letter, they've got a little bit of a lower profile. They're kind of back in the corners now. This letter, this part, it, he has to do what he probably hates as much as he hates sin, and that is to defend himself. He has to speak of himself. He doesn't want to defend himself. He doesn't think that he has to defend himself. He has a simplicity of mind that says, look at my fruit. Look at my life. Why would I defend myself? He has a life of humility. Why? He called himself a clay pot. The clay vessel that the waste of the house was carried out in. That's what the Apostle Paul referred to himself. Other letters, he called himself a lower level galley slave. Anyone that has that view of themselves, that life of humility... To be put in a place to have to defend themselves is extraordinarily painful. But he also understands that betrayal is critical. Okay, People who are walking away from the Apostle Paul are walking away from truth. People who are walking away from truth are walking away from Christ. People who are walking away from Christ are damned. They will spend eternity. And, you know, there's a term that we use. Okay? You see it in political history. You see it in military history. And once the label is hung, this term is hung on a person, what I realize is it never, ever, ever goes away. We call him a traitor. Have you ever heard of a guy named Benedict Arnold? Anybody want to name their child Benedict Arnold? That'd be like naming your daughter Jezebel. Meet my oldest son, Lucifer. Right? I have a, a very large group of men that are very dear friends of mine who served in Vietnam. Ask him about Jane Fonda. Duck. Okay? Because I remember when she was sitting on a North Vietnamese anti-aircraft gun posing for pictures with the North Vietnamese just outside of the Hanoi Hilton. And if you talk to guys who served in Vietnam, um, you will not believe the verbiage they will use to describe her. And there's no way she'll ever get around it. She says she's sorry. Doesn't matter. But yet, she is not the greatest traitor. You know who the greatest one is? Judas Iscariot. Judas was the ultimate in disloyalty. 
because he stepped into spiritual disloyalty. And there is nothing more tragic, there's nothing more serious. Disloyalty to God. He starts this letter back to chapter 11. I wish you bear with me in a little foolishness, for indeed you are bearing with me. Why? He's, he's making that statement, opening statement to say, you know what? I don't want to do this because to me this is foolishness. Look on down there at verse 17 of that same chapter. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but is foolishness and this confidence of boasting. He hates this. Verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. Why? He's defending his credentials. But he hates to have to do it. In chapter 10, verse 12, for we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. He doesn't want to compare himself and he hates that he has to do it. And yet, you know, one of the things that I have watched about false teachers, consistent throughout history, they all do. They all boast. They compare themselves to others. They want to push down one so that they may lift themselves up. And the Apostle Paul sees that as folly, as foolishness. Verse 2 of chapter 11, we saw that it is a loyalty to God. And it literal translation is God's jealousy. I have a jealousy that God has. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Why? Because your betrayal shows a betrayal. You may be betraying me, but the truth of the matter is, by being disloyal to the Apostle Paul, who are you disloyal to? To his God. And yet it was God who so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And now you would be disloyal to that? But not only that, their loyalty to Christ, verse 2b through 3. I betrothed you to one husband. Okay, he starts taking a picture of the wedding. The wedding, the betrothal is the engagement that you and I know of. Why? You get through the engagement so you can have the ceremony. And it is the betrothal time, the engagement time, that you are on guard. But it is also that same time that seduction shows up. Wanting to defile before the ceremony. Think about it. The bride of Christ. Who is it? Church. A true servant of God is doing what? Trying to get the church through the betrothal time. So she will be presented pure and holy at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now there's job security. Okay? But you see what I'm trying to get at? That, that's the picture that he is using here. If you are truly, I have betrothed you. The Father has given this bride to the Lord Jesus Christ. He went away to prepare a place for us. If it was not true, I would not tell you. 
And it is my responsibility, the Apostle Paul's responsibility, anyone that would take on the mantle of minister, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to get the rest of us through this betrothal time to the wedding feast of the Lamb. That is a true pastor's heart. He makes this statement. And I find it fascinating. As Eve was deceived by craftiness. Okay. Remember I told you what spiritual warfare is? It's for ideas, minds. It's lofty things and speculations raised up against the true knowledge of God. Here's what he says. Your minds be led astray from what? Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Now think about how easy it is for you and I to be swayed. Distracted. Swayed. Oh, I ain't going to fall away. All right, sure. That's what Peter said. Okay. Uh, I am not dumb enough to say that. Because if God gives him permission to shake me, Lucifer, to shake me like he shook Peter, run, people. <laughs> All right. I'm just warning you ahead of time. I'll squeal like a little girl. All right, just just so you know. It is the simplicity and purity of your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know what that is, right? All that you are. All that you are. There is also loyalty to the gospel. Verse 4, if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached. Many Jesuses are being preached today, people, that are not the Jesus of the Bible. Please understand that. And some of them are coming out of pastor's mouths. Okay, you receive a different spirit. Understand that any false teaching is the doctrine of demons. Biblical definition of a demon is a fallen angel. They've been around longer than you. Okay. They also know what your weaknesses are. They've been around since creation. Man's weaknesses haven't changed. So it's easy for them. It's easy. Think about how easy it's, we are seduced by whatever. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. Or a different gospel which you have not accepted. But you see what it says about them? Because this is, this is the essence of his urgency. Why? You bear this beautifully. A different gospel, a different spirit, and a different Jesus, and you embraced it. Okay? Which brings me to what I want to step into today, and then we'll finish up next Lord's Day. Truth. Are you loyal to truth? Okay, and that's a little tougher in this day and age. Postmodernism, when everyone has their own definition of what they want to believe is truth. It's, it's amazing how inerrant the internet is. I, I just, I stand in awe of it. I, I grew up that don't eat butter, you will die. Now they tell me, it's good for you. Shazam! I've been eating margarine for what? But they knew what they were talking about. Don't eat pork. What? 
I'm a Gentile. I have a right inalienable. It'll kill you. You know what? No one gets out of this thing alive. You know, so why should I sit around and eat granola bars and be miserable so I know I'm going to die? You know what my Bible says to eat? Give thanks and do it. Back to the simplicity of what we do. The Corinthians had been so easily moved by the false apostles, the false teachers. They had been easily seduced. Um, and they bore it beautifully. You know what I've learned is that if you throw your arms open, they will come. Okay? It's amazing to me. We will read all kinds of stuff about the Bible, but we don't want to read the Bible. I will read books about it. And some of them are fictional. But you know what? If you don't know what the Bible says, how do you know it's fictional? I remember there was a movie came out and I had people come to me after the church and said, did you know that angels like sugar? And I was like, what? I'm not that strong in the Old Testament. I don't remember reading that. Okay. And then they tell me that it was this movie with, uh, who was the dancing guy? John Travolta. And he's an angel and he eats sugar. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of truth in that. So I go see the movie. There's other things in there I know angels don't do. So why are you taking the sugar thing? And they like cigarettes. Well, gee whiz. Cigarettes, sex, and sugar. That's always my idea of an angel. I, but you see what I'm trying to get at? People come, well, that's true. That's true. Really. From Hollywood. Okay. But that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Even if you thought that, you wouldn't say it in public. You bear with this. You open your arms to it and they will show up. And you know what? I watch Christians today and they're welcoming it all in the name of unity. And they were doing it for another Jesus. They were doing it for another spirit. They were doing it for another gospel. And Paul says, look what he says today. This is an amazing verse that I I, I want you to look at. Verse 5, and it's dealing with the loyalty to the truth. Look what he says. I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. That's the New American Standard Translation. Eminent apostles. Okay, now listen. The Apostle Paul hates to self-promote. Back to verse 12, chapter 10. We are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those. Okay, so he didn't like to do this. Okay, now when you read... And you understand that he hates self-promotion. I have read some sound authors who believe he's speaking of the original 12. And I thought, wait a minute. I'm not sure that that works because in verse 6 he says, Yet I am not so in knowledge. And he never questioned the knowledge of the original apostles. Those guys who hung out with Jesus for three years. 
Okay? Least of the apostles. He didn't compare himself to the original apostles because in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I am not even of the least of the apostles. Okay? He considered himself a latecomer, right? I was a latecomer. I had originally been a blasphemer. Yet he considered himself equal because Peter in 1 Peter says, what Paul is writing is scripture. And Peter says, I saw him unveiled on the mount, that is the mount of the transfiguration. And I don't compare that as much to stand for as the holy book. Now, if you got to... Apostle Peter saying, Scripture is more important than me seeing the transfiguration of Christ on the mount. And Paul is writing Scripture? I'm thinking that being equal with the original is really not that big a deal. He understood his unworthiness, and in his unworthiness, it was completely 180 degrees because now he had a devotion that was equal to his unworthiness of devotion to the person of Christ. Yet, he understood that Christ had called him as an apostle. Okay, he did write, by the way, 13 letters of the New Testament. Okay, 13 letters that are classified as God-breathed. He did do a little work in the Gentile world. He did bear much fruit in the Gentile world. And yet, you can read all through his writings that he did not like talking about it. Okay? But in this text, he says, I am not the least inferior. Now then, what is fascinating here is the Greek words that he says, most eminent apostles. That's the New American Standard Translation. You know what it says in the Greek? If you take the Greek original text, the extra super apostles... Okay, He says, I'm not less than the extra super apostles. You know what that is? One of my favorite characteristics of the Apostle Paul. Sarcasm. I love sarcasm. And he says, you got a bunch of yahoos running around, stirring up chaos, calling themselves extra super apostles. He's not comparing himself to the twelve. He wouldn't compare himself to them. He is comparing his knowledge to these extra super apostles. I have it. The knowledge. They don't. Why? He's already made the comment. If they compare themselves to themselves, they lack Understanding. You know what he's doing, right? This letter is going to come to the pulpit in Corinth. He's going to lay it down and they're going to read it. And the extra super apostles are sitting in the audience doing this. And then he makes a wisecrack about it. That was one of them that, you know, I'd like to read this letter to the church. <laughs> Why? Because these extra super ones are in the shadows after the severe letter has already 
convicted those who are truly followers of Jesus Christ. They're hanging out in the corners. They're in the shadows. You know what? This extra super, he uses it a couple of different times in this letter. And I wonder if that's not exactly what they were calling themselves. And their absolute humility, correct? Verse 13 of this chapter. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That stepped on their toes. Verse 14 says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Then if that's not good enough, I'll take out my big hammer and I'll do verse 15. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. And then there's lowly meat, the clay pot, the lower level galley slave. He says, at the minimum, I'm at least their equal. Paul was on, uh, was oh so, oh so much more. Verse 21, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. And, and, and what he's saying here is, I probably should have said more. I haven't said as much. I haven't explained as much. And it's an interesting thought. And if you think about it, the only reason we know of the power and the majesty of what this man has done is because Luke was a historian and we see it in the book of Acts. There's very little that we have except for a few brief glimpses. How hard is it for a servant of the Lord to be put into this position? How hard is it for a humble, lower level galley slave clay pot to blow his own horn? It's amazing. When I was back at uh, my mom's a couple weeks ago, they decided all of my cousins that, you know, they know me, decided that they wanted me to go out to uh, dinner with them. So they had to have a place that you could have seat a herd. And so they chose Cracker Barrel. And so we'd go to Cracker Barrel. And I'm a little late getting there because um, everything's changed since I lived there. <laughs> They got streets that I used to rabbit hunt in. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's weird. But anyway, so I go down there, and and they're all there, and uh, I have wonderful family and and all the rest of it. So we place our orders, and it's not that big a deal. And we're yucking it up. Uh, my one cousin Debbie remembered. Uh, I wanted to show her what it was like to travel in space, so I put her in the dryer and turned it on. <laughs> <laughs> I was a wonderful child. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just, just weird stuff like that. We had a power pole and one of the wires had come loose and we were swinging on it and the wire fatigued and I went out through these treetops and everybody was wondering how I got out there. <laughs> so was I. Anyway, we were sitting there and it, our food was all served and uh, my uncle was there and he used to annoy me as a kid. He always called me Shadrach, but he was a churchgoer. He'd been a churchgoer for as long, and that annoyed me because at the time I wasn't saved, nor did I want any part of it. And he looked at me and he says, I would like the pastor of the family to pray for the meal. 
and it embarrassed me. Okay? Because I think about all of these people know a lot about what I did, and now here all of a sudden they're trying to. Uh, and my cousin, the one I'd put in the dryer, looked at me. She says, I never thought that I would call you reverend. And I said, Deb, don't. Okay? All right? But I, I understand that because I, I, I don't, you know, I know what I do. And that's enough. And people don't, I don't like that. I don't want people going around saying, well, you're an apostle or you're a reverend or you're this or you're that or whatever. Chapter 11, 22 and 23, it says this, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments. Beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've had frequent, I've been in frequent journeys in dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers from the city. Dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst without food and cold and exposure. These are my credentials. I don't like to boast. But this is what I claim as proof of my apostleship. This is my evidence. I've even been in danger of rivers as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about the false. They are not into suffering for Jesus Christ. They are not into they are in the ministry for the comfort they are in the ministry for the money. Paul tells Timothy, it's filthy lucre. Paul says, my credentials, I've been beaten. I have been stoned and left for dead. I've been shipwrecked. I've been in danger in the country. I've been in danger in the city. Robbers, my countrymen, the Gentiles. Dangers at sea and among false brethren. I've labored in hardship through sleepless nights, hunger and thirst without food and water from exposure. That's my credentials. Paul says to the Corinthians, you want to measure me? Measure me by the abuse suffered for Christ. That's my credentials. I wear my sufferings as evidence of my ministry. See, a servant is seen by the abuse they will be suffered at the hands of the ungodly. You know what? That text, everybody was after Paul. The kingdom of darkness had arrayed its mass armies against the Apostle Paul. And it's all evidence of his apostleship. Jesus in John 17, his prayer, the Lord's prayer. Basically, if I summarize it for you, don't expect to have it any different than I did. 
Lectures to my students by a man named Charles Spurgeon said, Why is it you would enter into this task knowing that they will not carry you out on the shoulders as victorious because they carried your king out on a cross? That is our credentials. Do not expect to have it any different than I did. Jesus tells us, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, a servant isn't above his Lord. The way they treated me, they will treat you. Jesus made you a promise. Every one of us who believe in this world, you shall have tribulation. The darkness don't like the light. Paul gives another proof in verse 32. In Damascus, the Antioch under Eretus, the king, was guarding the city in order to seize me. I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall so it escaped his hands. You know what he's telling you? The Lord miraculously saved me. You want that? I have the sufferings of Christ that I bear as evidence. God miraculously saved me in a basket. That will add to your manlyhood, won't it? They lowered me out the window. But you know what is amazing about it? You go straight from being rescued divinely in Damascus at his conversion and you move into chapter 12, verse 1. It says, boasting necessary? Though it is not profitable, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body, apart from the body, I do not know. God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. You know what he just said? Been to heaven and back. I don't know whether it's in the body or out of the body. But I can tell you this. I'm not allowed to tell you what I saw. But it was inexpressible. Okay, so let me tell you something. There's a bunch of books out there, all these people who died and went to heaven. How's come they're allowed to say it and Paul wasn't? Simple question. Just simple question. Paul says, I'm not allowed to speak. Men are not allowed to speak. What is what was Saul? What a comparison. Paul had suffered more. Paul's power had been in his life to even rescue him divinely. And he had been to heaven and back. And then you have to read verse 5 in the flow of the context. What does it say? On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. That was Paul's preference. I don't want to talk about heaven. I'd rather speak of the weaknesses that I have. Did I tell you that God has given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan? I've begged him three times to remove it, and he has told me his grace is sufficient. Now listen, I'm showing you something here. Do you want a loyalty to the truth? Verse 9. 
My grace is sufficient for you, for the power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Then verse 10 is one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. I see people struggle with this every moment of their lives across all sections of humanity. Look what he says. Therefore, let me summarize the fact that this man has been to heaven, but he boasts in his weaknesses. I want you to know something. I want you to, to see the summary of something here. What is it, Paul? I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When you're not content, do you know why? Because you're doing it. Anybody in this building struggle with being content? If you struggle with it, then I'll make it simple for you. It's because you're doing it. You believe you have a better idea. Paul is telling the Corinthians, you saw my sufferings. You know I was delivered miraculously by the Lord. You know that I have been to heaven and back. Now have done signs and wonders of miracles of a true apostle. Can you explain to me what is the problem? Go back to your text there and he says, I'm not the least inferior to the extra super apostles. I've been rescued miraculously by the Lord. I have suffered more than they have. I have been to heaven and back. I have done signs and wonders and miracles of a true apostle. Can you tell me what is the problem? You can summarize it there in chapter 12, verse 11. Look what he says. I have become foolish. You yourselves, what? Compelled me. I have to defend myself because you compelled me. You make me have to do this. And you know what is amazing to me from my perspective on this? The Corinthian church should have been commending the Apostle Paul to everyone that would listen. Let me tell you of a man who came with the gospel and power and authority of the resurrected Christ and changed the lives of the people in Corinth. Let me tell you about this man. But he says, you made me have to do that myself. And you know the evidence. You have compelled me. And he says, by you, I want you to know in no respect am I inferior to these extra super apostles, even if I'm a nobody. Paul was made way more comfortable in simplicity. Let me stay with the basic analogies of what the gospel is. Yet, he has, he has no equal. Do you understand that? There has no other been a man equal to the Apostle Paul. I don't care who you are. Listen, you can say, well, Jesus, well, dude, who is he following? Okay? Paul was remarkable 
And you know what? He already spoke of his humility, and I'll show you his humility, and then he defines it. He states it, and then he defines it. It's normal for the writing of the Apostle Paul. In chapter 4 of this letter, verse 7, he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surprising greatness and the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Okay, and we, all, we this is one, you know, we're clay pots. Okay, let me define for you what this is. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. So he describes it for you. This is what the clay pots are. What a statement. That is a servant of the Lord described. You know why so many in the body of Christ aren't servants? They don't want this. They don't want no part of this. I want bells and whistles. I want to be touted as a hero. I want everybody to love me. I want to be skipped and doodah through life. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the heart of a shepherd. True man of God. This is Paul's credentials. This is Paul's evidence. And you know what? He is way more comfortable speaking of his weakness, his nothingness, than he is anything. You go back to chapter 11, verse 5. I consider myself not the least inferior to the most extra, super apostles. He's basically looking at the Corinthians right in the eye. And he says, I am not inferior to these. And you know it. Extra super apostles? Really? Really? And they comparing themselves with themselves. And he's already said, they have no understanding. Now listen. You look around right now at the evangelical body and tell me what you see. Okay? Every pastor I know right now wants to publish a book. Why? Why? I've had people that's come up to me and there's a guy who he's into self-publishing. I asked him, he says, I mean, you buy everything you write or anyway, but uh, he told me, he says, you know what? You need to sit down and write a book about your history and how you became a Christian. And I looked at him and said, Bob, no, I don't. And he says, no, he says, it's impactful. I said, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't enough power, I ain't changing nothing. I ain't changing a thing. And then he makes the fatal statement. But your life change was miraculous. I looked him right in the eye and said, Bob, yours better had been. Okay? Really? 
extra super apostles. Really? Against the Apostle Paul. I wonder if they have like a big red A on their chest. Huh? And a cape. Paul just looked at him and go, Really? Servant's loyalty. Loyalty to God, loyalty to Christ, loyalty to the gospel, and loyalty to truth. We'll finish this up next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother, Paul. Father, and uh, I, I just, I'm so grateful that you've given me so much time with this man that I stand in awe. Father, uh, I pray for us. I pray, Father, that we are overwhelmed by humility. Yet, Father, we're overwhelmed with gratefulness. And Father, we stand in awe of the amazing things you have done. Father, um, let us bow our knees as earthen vessels, as clay pots, as lower-level galley slaves to be loyal to you, to your Savior, to your gospel, and to your truth. My Savior and my King, Christ's name. Amen.